Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best founders and investors to help you scale a business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is a very special one. Uh, it is his round two on the show. I've been checking, and the last time Miguel has been on the show uh, has been in the episode 86 uh, that was released in the 22nd of September of 2019. So more than three years ago. And it's incredible how time flies. Uh, and I, it seems that I've been speaking with you uh um i would say last year or so or or even uh, one year and a half uh so it's it's with great pleasure that i welcome you again uh the name of my guest today is miguel arias the general partner at kfand miguel welcome back to the show it's so good to be here three years oh my goodness other things happen in the meanwhile <laughs> and pandemic, last time pandemic you... happened in the meanwhile yeah Exactly. That, that that was that was what happened. And sometimes we, we forget kind of 2020 and 2021. And that's why <laughs> it seems it was last year that you have been here, but uh, not it was three years ago. <laughs> My goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and at the time you were at uh, Telefonica and uh, we kind of also covered a little bit of your differentiation because you, you serve it uh, in, in the startup scale up, scale up world as an angel. At the time you were going into the corporate world and now you are uh, in the venture capitalist seat so which makes you super special because you have been uh, across almost almost no you have been across all the seats in the innovation ecosystem in the tech ecosystem uh, but but better than me presenting you if you would give just an overview for the ones who are listening to you for for the first time uh who is miguel <laughs> yeah when when i hear you talking i realize i'm getting old i mean it's quite <laughs> a few things happen the both of us <laughs> yeah almost 20 years have gone by so I've been in the ecosystem almost forever now, right? I mean, first as an entrepreneur, my first company was um, a webcasting and virtual, virtual events company that was before the pandemic or before Zoom. So it was acquired by On24, which is now in, in NASDAQ. It's a webcasting company. And, and after, after that, then I, I joined Carto as COO, which became a more well-known story around enterprise software and location intelligence. We have raised $100 million so far by Insight or Axel and Cesar Ventures, so a different game, right? From initial right. Uh, web internet company at the first days of the internet in Spain into, into a pure enterprise SaaS scale-up with a big funding in the US. I had to learn had to be both American and travel bi-weekly to, to New York from Madrid, which wow. is hard. And yeah. after that, I mean, uh, I was the COO and the COO role is to do what the CEO doesn't want to do. That's the job description. <laughs> <laughs> so I did that for a few years. And, and, and the role was also to hire all the American VPs, right? I mean, you, you're growing and you're hiring people who are more experienced and are more senior than yourself to do the job. And at some point, I, I thought I wanted to do something else. So, so I, I looked around and I got a, a very great role at Telefonica to be the responsible for entrepreneurship globally, which meant all the projects that Telefonica had around WIDA, Open Future, all the seed investments. And it was a great, great gig for somebody who had never worked in a corporate before. So I did that for four years, but 
you know how I am. I was thinking about what's the next <laughs> thing for me <laughs> after these four year cycles is somehow something that I <laughs> somehow yeah. makes me want to change. And then uh, last year, uh, I, I decided to, to change gears and I became a venture capitalist. I joined K-Fund, which is a very well-known seed stage uh, management company in Spain. And we, we launched the first early growth fund for the region, so, which is called Edwin, which is a 250 million euro fund. And we're gonna talk more about that in a, in a minute. So, but now learning how to be a venture capitalist, yeah. Sounds great, and I think that that's a, a great point to to go uh, forward. Also, introducing um, the fund where you are that you are serving today as a general partner. So, what is kind of the thesis of K Fund? A little bit the the history or what founders can expect from from K Fund. Yeah, I mean, we we love to say in K Fund that that the the firm is bigger than than the fund, right? So, but but K Fund started with. Uh, a seed stage fund, right? A 50 million euro fund in 2016. And it was funded by Iñaki Arrola, who was the founder of Coaches.com, and Karina Spilka, who was the CEO mm -hmm. of a big bank here, ING Direct. So they, they got together, launched a seed stage fund, and which worked very well. Actually, we have companies there like Factorial, which became a unicorn a few well years ago or Exotica or Urbanitae. And so that, that evolved with the ecosystem. Then we they launched another uh, seed stage fund, successor of the previous one called K2. So it was very, mm -hmm. uh, very creative, uh, K1 and K2. And, and um, doing similar things, right? I mean, checks between 200K to 2 million euros in, in seed stage software companies mostly. Uh, and also mostly in Spain, but over time also in Europe or in places where we had some kind of access, right? right. And that, that kept on working and growing. And we also launched a fund of funds together with Bank Inter and Martin Barsaski. So to invest also in the best funds in the US, which gives us a lot of uh, best practices and uh, how right. things are being done in the, in the US, right? And then last year, uh, we saw that it was a, a big gap in the, in, the, in the market around early growth, right? The series A, actually more B uh, in the market mm -hmm. uh, when companies were growing, having some traction already and going international, there was no fund here that could then write a check or five to 10 million euros, right? In one single ticket. You have to have a quite big fund to do that. Right? You need to have a right. million euro fund at least. So there were none. So most of the best deals were taken by the Anglo-Saxon funds, which is good. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's okay, but you had the Tigers, the Patus, the Insights doing many deals. The ecosystem was booming uh, with strong maturity of founders, maturity of seed stage investors, and maturity right. of technologies. But there was a lack of, of that kind of funds, right? And, and with a strong sense of purpose too, not only of opportunity, we know for a fact, and it has happened the same in Germany or France or the Nordics, when there is a local growth fund, there is more local wealth and local job creation happening, right? I mean, so of course, it's about cooperating also with the, the big funds in the US and the UK, but you can help to ensure that the company grows more locally and, and grows also more with the local corporates and, and players. So there was an idea, and we launched that uh, last, last year. And uh, and when you are doing these kind of funds, where you're in the middle between the seed stage funds and the big growth funds, 
you are in the middle of a sandwich, right? So you need to have a very strong differentiator. If not, you're going to be pressed <laughs> by the two right. sides of the sandwich. Good so the, the idea around that, and, and I strongly believe in differentiators for everything you do, for the startups, the corporates, right. you know, so <laughs> the fund, is we are A, a fund of operators. So uh, I'm doing this with my uh, previous uh, colleague at, at, at Carto and also at my previous company master, Sergio. So he's uh, the other partner uh, at the fund with me. So uh, first is a fund of operators. So people mm -hmm. who understand with deep intimacy how founders feel and what are the challenges they're going to be experiencing right. with the company internationally, right? So not financial people, but really deep operators. And the other point I think is very important is that these companies, scale-ups, which have traction, what they need is access to revenues. They need more revenues because they really have proven some kind of market fit. So we think distribution channels are critical for that. And I've mm -hmm. learned uh, in my time in Telefonica that corporates can be a great distribution channel. Not so much for startups because they're too small and it's hard to right. scale, but for a scale-up who has their own muscle, who is riding their own wave, there mm -hmm. the corporate can really help to make this on steroids, right? And so we we decided that the fund was going to have uh, have uh, a lot of corporate LPs in different verticals. So we've got mm -hmm. Telefonica as Anchor, we've got VVA mm -hmm. as a bank, we've got uh, uh, Unir for, for EdTech, uh, Satec for integrations, uh, Coden for food tech. So many corporates in different verticals, which actually enable different kinds of uh, distribution channels. Sounds, sounds great. So you have the, the differentiation uh, in mind and, yeah. uh, and, and the, the positioning very well uh, defined, which is, which is really important in any table uh, of, the, of the tech ecosystem and the innovation ecosystem. And as we were discussing, you have been almost in every seat uh, of the innovation ecosystem. You, you are even connected with um, EA, uh, a famous business school uh, in, based in Madrid. Mm -hmm. uh, so even as a teacher, uh, teaching entrepreneurship uh, as an operator. So what are some of your lessons of being or some of your experiences, some, some points that you'd like to share uh, for being a founder, being an operator, being a, a corporate leader, being also a corporate VC, now a venture capitalist, uh, a teacher. Uh, so, so many, so many ads in the ecosystem. So what, what are some of your, of your experience <laughs> that you'd like to highlight on your, on your, during your career? Yeah, thinking about the, the three key roles, right, as operator, as corporate executive, and now as venture capitalist, <laughs> I think each of them are working with the same product, <laughs> the, the startup, right. right, but very differently. When, when, when I was an operator as a COO, uh, I think the, the, the most relevant thing that I was thinking about is you have to focus. Right. You, you, and your biggest asset is the sense of urgency, because sense of urgency—the fact that if you don't do things quickly—brings uh, alignment. So there is no discussion around what are your KPIs or that's not in my remit. It doesn't matter because you either die or survive. Right. That incredible uh, and beautiful alignment, which is um, fed by by the sense of urgency, is something that mm -hmm. I. I remember fondly because that really helps you to, to move forward quickly, right? So right. that's in, as an operator. When then you move to 
to the corporation, it's different, right? I mean, the, uh, there is a lot of things to be done and, and you work a lot, right? It's not that, but alignment to from what you think needs to be done and what the corporation things that needs to be done can be different, right? They can they can be fair. <laughs> uh, so so you need to also understand something which I didn't know so much about, which is the importance of socializing things. You need to make sure since, right. since it's not about dying or surviving, but you can survive in many different ways. We need to socialize <laughs> projects and how you're going to be building stuff with other members of the wider corporation. And that's okay. that's something I, I learned. And which which then means a much bigger overhead. But on the plus side, the scale and the resources are incredible, right? I mean, I I, I joke, well, I don't joke. I, I was so much more handsome when I was in the corporation. Now it's gone, you know, because people were really <laughs> up to me and they were like to to listen to me. And I, now not anymore, you know. So <laughs> I'm the same Miguel. I'm back to the same Miguel now. So God. that's that. And and now uh, as a as a VC. There are like a, a few different fields I have. The first one is a strong imposter syndrome, right? Because you never know if you are doing right. You never know if you stack things because it's not like one activity leads to a specific outcome. Uh-huh. It's, it, and, and, and outcomes take many, many years to happen, right? And actually, the ones doing That's- the heavy lifting are the entrepreneurs. You are just there asking how you can help and trying to really be supportive. Right. But for an operator, which would love to have again the hands on the wheel, it's a right. strange feeling. That's one, right? And the second mm-hmm. is the your fear of missing out. FOMO is so much bigger. When you are in the startup, you have no FOMO because you are just executing and fighting dragons. You cannot think about FOMO. You are not missing anything because that's the battle. That's the only thing right. that matters. When you are in a corporation, you could always say, oh, yeah, I couldn't do that deal or that didn't happen. But how could I? I'm, I'm, I'm the corp. So I, it's OK for me to, to not <laughs> all the tables, you know? Uh, right. Now it's all on, on me, on us, on the team, right? If we lose a deal, if something goes wrong, there is, there is no protection. So that's a, that's a hard feeling. So it, it takes what you are saying uh, as a venture capitalist, it takes some time to understand if you are good uh, at that job or not, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. But it's even but worse. In, the, the mistakes yeah. happen early on. And uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to think that you're really bad at it very early on. Yeah. Right. And, and, and it makes sense, right? Because uh, again, we in, in the venture capital world, we are looking for, for the outliers. So you will fail all the time you will fail much more than what you will um then and then the the bets that you will do right right so it's yeah. it's normal that 90% of the time we are wrong uh, and we need to be comfortable uh with that which is not <laughs> an easy mindset and i think we we also leverage that from the from the founder perspective but hopefully we are uh we are right more than uh 10% of the time <laughs> but, <laughs> but i think that we we we, we you, you also take it from, from the founder uh, mindset in a certain way. I think more the resilience, right? The, the capacity to, to step up after every single defeat or every single lesson that, uh, that we learn along the way. But I, but I think I can almost understand I've never been in your, in your position as venture capitalist that uh, given the, the math and the numbers, it makes sense that you will fail even more than, than as a founder and it, it can give it, if we are not psychological strong, and if even if we are psychological strong, let's also uh, be careful with, with with the message that we are sending out there in a world where mental health 
uh, is so important. Uh, we really need to be very well surrounded to to not feel a failure, uh, and it's normal for every human being. But when it's when it becomes too much, it, it starts affecting our own life, our professional life, our personal life, and okay. I, I think that's sometimes we don't talk too much about also the the VC sit we think much more about the founder sit in that perspective and it, it's all human beings right well i mean most of the of the challenges of the vc job are psychological how you work within a partnership which is different than working in a in a corporation with a strong hierarchy how you manage formal right how you manage the early mistakes how you manage your own ego and the ego of others uh, how you were able to be a great coach and mentor, but not stepping in the toes of the right. of the of the entrepreneurs. It's about being a chief psychologist. So, absolutely, uh, uh, having a lot of thought around how you feel about the things you're doing. It's 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 uh, super relevant. Yeah, yeah, and and something that also takes a lot of energy uh, out of the out of the of the VC position is saying no all the time to founders uh, who are giving their lives for for something that they believe in uh, and again it's it's even and more than 90% of the time <laughs> we are telling founders to persevere right so they are coming back and saying no but when you say no you really meant no or you maybe you meant no maybe and and you never and when you say no to a founder you you have no clue right you do your analysis you right. try to build your conviction but you don't know how the future is going to play out so we try to be very humble when we say no to founders, they say, hey, I mean, I wish you lots of success and, and I, I could be completely wrong, right? I mean, we, we, don't, we don't know. Right. And from a psychological point of view, uh, again, you have been on, on the founder, on the operator uh, position, and it helps you to empathize with the, with the person that is another side of the table. But sometimes you have seen that so many times that you can kind of leave the situation and again and it can also have a toll on you and uh, especially the hard times and it happens all the time uh, i would say in in almost every stage of uh, building a startup it can be also a, a strong emotional toll also for the coach and for the advisor and uh, as a venture capitalist sometimes you are also doing that 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 position and trying to be impartial in in the relationship uh, because there is always conflict of interest of course you want the the startup to succeed and the funds to succeed and you also need to make to to understand how you will uh, invest your time according to the chances or odds of success of the different members of of the portfolio are you able to block kind of the negative emotional energy at this time or, or do you think that you still need to work a little bit more on that <laughs> i am a newbie i'm a newbie i I, I cannot, right? I mean, I, I fully feel it and I, I get too involved and I and the, the bad news, I, I feel them as, as very personal and I think it's all my fault. And so, so there's a strong learning, as you said, to be made that you need to manage your own portfolio of emotions so that you can also balance it a bit. But when, expression. You start, when you start, <laughs> you, you start, you cannot. I, I was remembering now, there is a... Uh, a great uh, story by Borges. It's called uh, El Immortal, the, the Immortal, right? Mm -hmm. And and it's about people who drank uh, or drank some water and they become immortals. And then since they're going to feel all the good things and all the bad things in their lives, all of it's going to happen to them because they are immortals, right? At, at infinity, <laughs> everything's going to happen to you. 
So at some point they don't care anymore, right? They, they become troglodytes because why would you make any effort or why would you have any emotion if in an infinite amount of time, everything's gonna happen to you, all the good and all the bad. So at the, at the point, the, the moral story here is that you end up having no feelings and no empathy. And at some point, VCs uh, could become immortals because they see all these deals. They are not exactly involved. They are betting on portfolios. So all the good news, yeah, okay, we've seen this before. All the bad news, yeah, okay, we, we've seen this before. Actually, when the VCs become immortals, they talk in plural. We have seen things before, right? It's like <laughs> <laughs> at some point, right? So I don't want to be one of those people, right? I, I want to feel. I want to feel, I want to be involved. I want to have pizza at night with entrepreneurs and, and supporting the camp. Yeah. Uh, just asking that because also uh, as an advisor, as a coach, after 10 years, I, uh, I'm i still working on that. Uh, and I, I, I'm not successful. <laughs> it doesn't uh, get any better. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I still feel the ups and downs. Maybe I don't feel the up so up and the down so down uh, or the high so high and the low so low. But uh, I still feel the emotional roller coaster uh, as we see uh, our portfolio succeeding or, or having uh, our time. And uh, as we know, there is always uh, so so many our times to to go through. <laughs> so, yeah. so okay, perfect. And so there is something that you also have a, a lot of experience, which is a, a an interesting regional uh, coverage. Uh, you said that you have been traveling a lot from Madrid to to New York, uh, an European experience, also with uh, with Telefonica and now with with uh, KFA and also with some news. You are also exposed to Latin America. Um, what, what are some of the insights, or, or what, especially from emerging markets to uh, more developed or more mature ecosystem? Let's not talk developed or non-developing. Um, so, what are some of your of your insights that you are seeing in terms of the, the evolution of the ecosystems um, in Europe and uh, and Latin? Yeah. I mean, before I joined. Uh, Telefonica, yeah. I had little exposure to to the Latin ecosystem, right? I was mostly doing Europe to US, as all of us are doing, right? From every country, we're trying to see how we can tackle the US market. Exactly. We have a strong tech differentiator, why wouldn't we? Why it's a bigger market, there's more buying power, why wouldn't we go there, right? So everybody's just focusing to looking into the US. Even Latin. Yeah. Certainly. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that's the case, right? So when, when I joined Telefonica and I was exposed to all these great places in, in LATAM, and we did many investments, right? Over my four years, more than 50 investments in, in LATAM, I, I was amazed by the quality of the founders and, and the depth of tech expertise of the founders. Uh, what was still lacking, which is, was also a bit the case in, in Spain or in Portugal, where we, we needed more profiles with business acumen around scaling up companies, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and that has changed a lot over the last years. Now there are more and more unicorns in the region, so more executives or VP of product or VPs of growth and sales who have lived these hyper-growth stories in, in, in the region, or also in the US and then come, came back, or in Europe and came back. So I saw a tremendous evolution of the ecosystem and I would always say, I mean, for me, the Brazilian ecosystem has nothing uh, to envy 
for any ecosystem in Europe and, and, and in some cases even uh, uh, some of the ecosystems in the US, right? Around fintech, of course not, right? So, so I was surprised about the talent in 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 LATAM, the sophistication, and, and then the the access, right? The access to markets, the access to to people, to corporates. So the the, the thing that I learned is that more and more we're going to be seeing uh, founders and companies from LATAM who are able to come to Europe and not the other way around, right? I mean, they, before there was all the Spanish companies going into LATAM and trying to make a dent in the market. Now we see companies like Gympass or many others who are able to go the other way around. And yeah. what I'm trying to teach now the entrepreneurs is that it doesn't need to be always just the US as the key market. Uh, you could be thinking that you can go from Brazil or from Colombia into Spain, into Portugal, use that as your entry door into Europe. Uh, and, and then there might be a less competitive situation where you can grow your businesses, you learn, because you really know how to do multi-country, right? In Palatam, Palatam is not one region, right? It's like Sorry. you have learned how to do three, four different countries, then you can use those learnings to do then three, four, five different countries in Europe. And that will make you so much stronger uh, when you have to conquer the U.S. market, right? So, and for that bridge, I think corporates can be a great passage. Uh, we see that the Telefonicas, the VBAs, which are presence in both places, and many other companies also from, from, from LATAM, they could act as this distribution channel or bridge for the scale-ups on both sides to work together. And that's a big learning for me. Yeah, and and I would say that uh, especially for for the ones in the Spanish speaking uh, part of of Latin that need to conquer uh, a lot of markets to be able to have a, a larger market, for mm -hmm. the ones who are coming out of Brazil, it might be a little bit more difficult to have a, a global mindset. Kind of the issues that we that we see with American uh, entrepreneurs, uh, that European entrepreneurs and Spanish speaking. Uh, Latin-based uh, entrepreneurs uh, also are able to have the because they need out of of the necessity to to learn how to open new markets uh, very early on. I agree, but I have to say that more and more we see the Brazilian entrepreneurs who are looking from a Pan-Latin perspective, right? And just yeah. after Brazil, they're thinking about opening offices in Mexico City Mexico. or, or yeah. Bogota. Then sure once well. they have that experience, I think they're ready to go to Europe. Yeah. Good, great point. And um, I, I know there is a topic that you are very passionate about, and of course, that's that's the reason why you are also in the in the tech ecosystem, which is the the power of uh, how tech or how enabling tech can be applied to any vertical, and and how it can help to sell to solve uh, a lot of challenges uh, in the world. Uh, if you'd like to to share some thoughts about about that topic that I know that you really enjoy. Yeah, I mean, actually, for our uh, early growth thesis, uh, we we do that, right? We try to invest in companies which are having a strong differentiator around enabling tech. What do I mean by enabling tech? I mean the platforms where you can create uh, a, an infrastructure or a platform infrastructure and others can build their business models on top of you, right? I mean, maybe you give them a service through APIs or you have an SDK. So it's a one deeper level on the new fabric of the future internet, right? And those platforms can be very different. It could be a platform of sensors, right? IoT 
uh, sensors mm -hmm. that are deployed. So you can then use those sensors as a platform and having them be accessible via APIs for an insurance company or for a, a government or for, a, you know, for different kinds of, of business models. A platform could be blockchain as a platform to enable, uh, uh, for example, let me give you examples to give you an idea, right? To enable yeah, absolutely. Uh, a visual identification of, of uh, users of an e-commerce site, of many e-commerce sites, and then the blockchain can enable that as a platform, or you could have connectivity or edge computing as a platform. You could be thinking about AI as a platform or data analytics as a platform, right? So mm -hmm. what I, I, I truly believe is that we are seeing now a strong maturity of these tectonic plagues of, mm -hmm. of the internet of the future, which will enable a lot of new different business models. And what we see now is like a kind of a, a, a merge or a blurriness on the boundaries. It's not anymore around just, I don't know, a, um, a healthcare business or just a mobility business, but you see healthcare and mobility merging thanks to analytics into new different kind of business models, or you see that the work at home and the work at the office is also blurring, which I mean you need you need to have different kind of cyber security platforms. In a way, I think that this idea of just having verticals to, to define things are something that I don't believe so much. I think there is a lot of things right. to be made at the boundaries between verticals, and that's my bet. Right. This is interesting. It's kind of the discussion that we have all the time is uh, as the company scales, how, 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 how are we able to bridge the different functions? Here is how are we able to bridge the different technologies to serve a certain purpose, mm -hmm. not around a, a specific vertical, but uh, across uh, a specific problem uh, exactly. that, we want, that we want to solve. So again, it, it's and the typical discussion, this is not about the, um, the technology, it's how do we build a solution to, to solve a, a problem using the tool that is the, the technology. Uh, and, and the same in, yeah. in the company perspective is how do we come all together to solve the, the problems of the customer and the problems of the team uh, and, and not uh, who, has, who has the, who is right from the marketing or the sales or the finance or the product or the tech perspective. I think that's that's a good analogy to, <laughs> to make. And don't get me wrong, I, I do think there can be great uh, business to be made with one single product or with one marketplace or one e-commerce site, right? Like that. There could right. be great financial business models, but I, for me, thinking about companies that are gonna shape the future, I prefer to invest on this infrastructure layer. Got it. And how do you see the the future uh, of that? What do you what do you think would be the new uh, the new categories or the the new winners or at least what are your assumptions or and your thesis uh, about the future in in this regard? Right. Yeah, it's it's hard to to know. I mean, we are, we are now. I would say we are now living an inflection point. Look what's going to happen in over the last weeks with generative AI. Right. I mean, there is a new. Uh, breakthrough almost every day happening right now. So, so I do think that we're going to see uh, all these technologies embedded in our daily lives. We're going to see AI embedded in almost every process that we live from our daily life outside of work and also from, uh, in a way, how could you say, this is like a, a copilot for everything, right? There's going to be right. copilots 
around us for Amazon, <laughs> right? Uh, and the same idea, I think we're going to be having ubiquitous um, uh, wearables and devices which are going to be connected and intelligent, right? right? And uh, so it's going to make the compilers be with us all the time, okay? And, and that's right. going to then create enormous amount of data which is going to be used then for further optimization and, 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 and further analysis. So that's things that I think are going to happen no matter what, right? And I, I do think that with the, with the new 5G and connectivity and, mm -hmm. and computing, we're going to see how VR and AR start to be also something we see in our day to day. I don't, I'm not such a big believer in all these metaverses where, I don't know, we're going to be living just out, just within the metaverse, right? I, I don't think uh -huh. happens so much, but that we're going to be having devices with strong AR capabilities, which are going to help us through those copilots that I do. Mm -hmm. As you see, everything again, blurring and merging. Marching exactly. It's kind of what you were saying. It's not anymore the discussion. Uh, I still remember uh, I was leading a, a branding agency at the time when we were discussing, uh, should we focus on being st very strong at graphic design or should we also start hiring people uh, from a digital perspective? Will marketing be traditional marketing or offline marketing or online marketing? And, and we all know what, what is the answer today. It's always as you said, a blended and the same about should we go to the office or should we stay remote? Even if we work remotely, we need to, to, to meet and to gather at least once a quarter, be all together. And of course, the kind of those meetings will be different. Maybe the, the strategic or the operational meetings we can do online, but then those meetings are much more just to get to know each other, to have fun together, uh, to, to understand the personal part that we miss not being in the in the same office and having those random conversations when we are waiting for the coffee at, at the coffee mm -hmm. machine. And, mm -hmm. and and sometimes, of course, it's we also <laughs> talk about some issues that we are facing uh, around business, but a lot of times it's, it's when we get to understand uh, how are your kids, what is going on, what are your hobbies, uh, and that's the way people connect uh, a little bit more i think there is also something interesting before going into the last segment uh, of the show to um, to cover which is the typical mistake um, that that we do i think that we also did this a lot uh, in the past in europe i think that we are get, getting better at that but i think that in latem uh, there is still uh, we we still see this happening uh, especially for foreigners that go into latin to build their companies which is to try to apply a benchmark from the us and think that it will work in in latin so uh, and and as you were speaking about the, the importance of having the infrastructure to scale sometimes the problems that we solve uh, in latin might be much more fundamental uh, before going into a, a too much uh, to to a, a sophisticated to a certain level of sophistication. Sorry about my English today. Uh, and do, do you see the same kind of issues about the how dangerous it is to apply a U.S. benchmark directly into Europe or directly into into Latin? Uh, and second, the the difference of problems that needs to be addressed uh, in Latin compared to to Europe and the U.S. Yeah, I, it's a valid point, right? I mean, if you're talking about infrastructure and I've been talking about this new infrastructure, but there's a lack of the previous <laughs> basic uh, infrastructure, then what are we talking about, right? If there's no connectivity at all, how are we talking about edge computing? If there's no uh, 
uh, devices, how are we talking about smart IoT uh, grids, right? Can't happen. We, we, we yeah. need. So that's true. That's true. And it's, it's clear that you need to understand the uh, difference in LATAM to do these kind of things at scale. So I, I agree on that. Uh, to be on the plus side, adoption of new technologies by the population in LATAM, which is younger, it's, it's incredible. It's much quicker right. than it's happening in other places, right? So we you can might see what's up, of course. You yeah. might leapfrog uh, even at one generation, consider right. right? So I would say there are, there are some drawbacks. You need to be aware to your point. I mean, you need, you cannot do things in LATAM from the outside. We, we, we have now are super happy to have Gustavo Rivas as a, as a new venture partner in, in the region. We you need to be present. You need to understand the particularities of LATAM, not as a region, but as every single country. Right. Of course, there are things that are not there. So you cannot just create, I don't know, as we said, right now, a network of smart drones if there is not even the basic connectivity. So that, that's clear, but you have a mature, sophisticated uh, population, which is avid to take on new products. And that's that's something that some places you don't see in Europe the same, right? So uh, classes and, and, and minuses, yeah. Good point. And it, it's good to see also more uh, global entrepreneurs also trying to tackle, should I leverage the opportunity in Europe or the US or LATAM, even Southeast Asia? I think it's also fine to see, uh, and I still see some Europeans also going into Southeast Asia to, to start a business. Uh, and it's great to see this multicultural uh, yeah. multiculturality uh, and, uh, and really being more, uh, I would say, uh, not 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 I'm not finding the world, but a little bit more uh, intentional. That's the word intentional about deciding what market to go to go first mm -hmm. to build a uh, first a, a local player, then a regional player, and and finally uh, a global player. Agreed. Always with the global mindset, but it was step exactly. From, with with kind of a, what I like to do the vision reverse engineering exercise coming from the long term to the mid term and to the short term and start building the blocks and of course understanding that we need to uh, approach it with flexibility uh, because we we don't know what will be in the next ten years but we we always need to be adapting the long the mid uh, and the short term as as we progress. Yeah. Okay, let's go into, into the last segment of the show that we didn't add uh, three years ago when you joined us for the episode 86 for the ones who would like to, to see uh, or listen to, to how that we, episode. How old we became in three years, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. I'm sure that a lot of the insights that we, that we shared uh, there are still very relevant uh, today. <laughs> Good point. I should have checked it before mentioning so many times that that episode i think that Miguel, you will listen to it again <laughs> okay so let's let's go to to the first one so if you would have the opportunity to meet miguel and and let's maybe make it a little bit shorter in time uh, at the beginning of your journey as a venture capitalist uh, what advice would you offer to your younger self yeah that's a hard one i i mean i think one important piece that I learned later on is the relevance of the networks of trusted peers, of building your own tribe. You know that yeah. I would have told that uh, young, unexperienced Miguel, build your tribe, find who are people that 
that you can rely on, that you trust, that will help you when you fall to go step back in, right? And then that will help you grow. And uh, that I learned later on, but that was so important. Good point. Uh, the second, what what are you the most uh, proud of on your journey so far? Well, it's fully a uh, work in progress, right? So the, the journey I, is still going on. But I there's one thing that I, 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 I as we discussed, I changed so much, right, in my life. I, I, I changed dramatically in many times. So in, in those uh, moments of change, a uh, thing happened, uh, and, and it happened consistently. So this is the beautiful thing for me is that I got messages or letters, actually handwritten letters from previous team members, right? About the impact oh, that my management style has had on them, right? I mean, like, I always think that I, I manage by service. So the idea that it's not that you are the boss or that you, I don't know, achieve the goal, but you were able to have a more of a lasting effect on how people see how they relate to others, how things can be done, more from a cultural perspective. And I always found this very, I don't know, I don't know reassuring, right? You, you never know if you're doing right. And then when you leave and they right. and you're not anymore the boss, so they can actually say whatever they want <laughs> or nothing. Exactly. And they take the effort to tell you something. And I, in that sense, I think that's relevant, right? So that's that's one thing. And thinking about another thing is that I I, I like to do things that matter. And, and and now more than ever, I am a bit concerned about what my grandkids might say. I mean, I have now two girls, so if if they have kids at some time, and my grandkids in 20, 30 years asking me, Grandpa, I mean, you you had the privilege to be able to do whatever you wanted at the time. What did you do? I mean, did wow. you give money to somebody to do a new app? Or did you <laughs> have somebody to tackle the key challenges, mostly around climate emergency also around the energy transition did you do anything around that so i i hope that in 20 30 years i can tell them that i did i don't know well this is a great question to add to, to this last segment <laughs> so, <laughs> good one Miguel. Uh, worst advice ever received i got many bad advice but this one that i i heard a lot and which is very dangerous is the idea that entrepreneurs need to persevere you have to persevere that's uh, and it stops there, right? And which means then I don't know what it means. It's like you should just keep on banging your head against the wall for twenty times till your head breaks. <laughs> and I I think that perseverance is relevant. Resilience, and you mentioned this before, is relevance. But it needs to be smart perseverance, right? In a way, you need to be able to learn from what's going on with you, and I need to be able to adapt into that, right? So I, I think that all this. Uh, very fundamentalists around entrepreneurship where they say things are this way and you <laughs> have and persevere and never give up. I don't know, mate. At some point, maybe you need to give up. <laughs> learn what's going on and listen. Listen a lot. Yeah. Uh, another one that, I, that I'm still trying to master. <laughs> so after after the not going through the ups and downs so, so deeply with, with entrepreneurs, but still keeping that uh, empathy that that we were talking about uh, also uh, understanding when to to keep pushing and when to stop and change direction and change gears is is such an important uh, skill to to master and finally resources uh, favorite book business or non-business you you decide 
I'm so I'm non non business because we talk so much about business. I'm a bit that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's about getting to know you more on the personal side. That, that's the purpose of this last segment. Yeah. So uh, two books I read lately. I was trying to, as we were speaking, I was trying to look at the at the English names, but I couldn't find them. So the one is in Spanish is called Calle Este Oeste, so Street East West by Philip Sands, right? About the history of of his family in in actually ukraine now but it was like in poland and during the nazi regime so it's a very interesting well documented story which tells you a lot about the human nature that i like very much and a very strange book that i, I read also lately is and i don't know exactly the title in english again it's the things your grandkids should know right by eels which is a singer and it's like a way an autobiography written quite weirdly, but it's a it will it, it, it resonates greatly into me about how people react to adversity and how you move on. I very interesting books that I have read lately, which I, I would love to share. Super original recommendations. Favorite movie or series? So on a, a old movie I, I watched many, many years ago, but really had an impact in me. It's a Land and Freedom by Ken Loach. It's an oldie but goodie. Mm-hmm. And I, I have very little time to go to the cinema now with, with the girls and everything. But <laughs> I, I just saw a movie, uh, which was also not a very new one, but I, I saw this a few weeks ago and I liked it. It's called Beautiful Boy. Mm-hmm. Around a, a kid which struggles with drug addiction and how his father and mother struggle with that too, but uh, go the extra mile to help. And it's a very interesting movie to watch with your kids when they grow older. How old are are your daughters? They're 12 and 10, well, 11 and 10. Okay, good age. Uh, and finally, your favorite podcasts, excluding this one. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so no they, conflict I, of interest. <laughs> I'm going to mention two of them, which I, I listen to. Well, there's a, a, three of them. Three of them. I, I, so wow. one is the 20 Minute VC, Harry Stebbings. That's a... Yeah. That's uh, everybody that one, but I, I like it. I like the style. I mean, I, yeah. I, I like very much the in-depth analysis, the, the folks that acquire.fm do, right? About all the yeah. all the really interest stories on how companies get acquired and why. I love it. Yeah. It's interesting. I, and and uh, I, I like to listen from time to time to the, I remember the name of the podcast, the podcast by Malcolm Gladwell about the weird things yeah. that happen in the world. And I think it's very funny. Great. Miguel, thank you so much for joining us for for the second time. It was a pleasure and it is incredible to see how much you have achieved in the last uh, three three years. Four years, we have to do the third time. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully earlier, uh, because you have achieved in one year and a half, the same that you achieved in the last (laughs) last three years. It's a long-term game. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, I, I agree. Thank you, Miguel, again for for joining us and to our community. We keep bringing you the best of the best to make your life a little bit easier on this amazing journey of going from zero to one, one to 10 and 10 to 100. See you soon and keep scaling.